Welcome to another episode of Milk the Clock Podcast. I know you guys aren't used to the intro now because we've cut that out of the uh, operation, but uh, Paul, you're there. Uh, We're going old school with this podcast. We're actually going to do an intro before we get to talk to Kyle Petty. And you, off the air, you said this is one that you like because Kyle Petty will go on and he loves telling stories and... We've talked about this. We need NASCAR guys that are old school that'll tell old school stories. So you're excited. I'm I'm excited in, in all ways, and I'm first of all I'm excited that we're doing an intro because it's been so long. I mean, the listeners, we know you guys are busy. We know you guys want to get right to the clickbait. We want to get you right into that content, right in the middle where it's soft and warm. But today we thought we'd set it up a little bit for you, Kyle Petty does give great interviews and he'll tell you some great old school NASCAR stories. We just need to get him wound up, Joe, uh, and kind of point him in the right direction. We also want to hear about the, uh, the motorcycle ride for charity. Yeah. Kyle Petty's, uh, his charity ride leaves Portland, Oregon on May 13th and ends in Milwaukee, Wisconsin on May 19th. So, uh, over mother's day weekend, uh, he'll be leaving, He's leading it, and yeah. they're going to raise uh, raise money for his foundation, Victory Junction. Do you know Do you know about that? I do. It's a it's a kids camp for kids with um, serious illnesses or injuries or things like that. So the cool thing is is that KP himself goes along on the ride with you across the country, and it's like a swarm of NASCAR that invades and consumes every town that it goes into. Um, the lodging and accommodations are ridiculous, like hundreds of riders in the middle of nowhere at gas stations and the like. So um, sounds like a good time, Joe. Sounds like something you and I would be into. Uh, and if I understand it correctly, Richard Petty is back on a motorcycle. I saw a photo uh, Kyle had sent out of his dad on a hog. And uh, yeah, so the king is back to riding. He's turning 80 Wow! I, I wow! Gotta look, really? I gotta look this up. I don't. I, I think maybe it's today. Confirm that on Wikipedia. But I'll tell you, when we met him at Daytona a few weeks ago, he looked great. He was moving around. He was jovial. He he looked awesome. He, so Richard Petty turns eighty on July second. So wow. we're we're getting close to Richard's eightieth birthday, and like we've said, uh, the big issue is we're losing the 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 characters in the sport. And right. they're having trouble backfilling with new characters. And well, and that's a that's a great point, Joe. Allow me to intercede yeah, here. Uh, based on our interview yesterday with Zach Parise, is that I'm still not saying that Parisi. right, am I? Parisi. Parisi. Um, I got some feedback from several different people who liked it. And one of the things, the recurring themes was that there's no characters in any sport anymore. Every player is essentially robotic because there's no creativity. It's all about systems and specialized training that is year-round so i thought that was a key point from yesterday that carries over into nascar unfortunately Well, and I, also i think the money all right so if we do have characters like a guy like phil kessel he looks like he spends 360 days on the couch and then plays <laughs> hockey for five games but when some right. of the when a lot of these guys make so much money that they don't have to be characters to kind of go out and get into TV and make that extra money. They're making extra money just drinking energy drinks, 
You know what I mean? Like if they want to make a little extra cash, they just sign autographs. Uh, yeah, or, it, or you get that that brand going via social media, like we talked about with Zach yesterday. Right. So a lot of these guys, they don't need to be characters to get onto TV shows and stuff like in the old days. A lot, I, I'm convinced that these guys now, they can if they want to make money, they can make money it, tomorrow. It doesn't matter. They can sign helmets, and they By just the don't. Way, yeah, go ahead. Phil Kessel, how much do you think he weighs? Oh. In season, probably what two twenty five. <laughs> what do you What do you think off season? Oh, probably two forty five at least. <laughs> Wikipedia says two oh three. Yeah, no. <laughs> well, in season, he probably sheds a ton of weight, but off season, well, what is he? Like five, only if he's like five four, is he two oh three? He, yeah, no, he is. Uh, and and listen, that's the kind of guy we like, right? Like Tony Stewart. He just like screw yeah. it. If I want to have chicken wings, I'm having chicken wings, and right. we're we're losing that kind of guy. And uh, it's and, and and when we talk about like what's happening to sports, we've we've talked about this many times about how if you're out of characters, you're you're losing the vibrancy of the sport, right? Yeah, nobody can connect to anybody, and connect. then ultimately nobody cares. And it's like the networks don't help at all. They like I was watching the Celtics game last night, and Celtics versus Bullets for all you old schoolers. Right. Hell I was I was actually gonna say that online, and I was like, I don't want to deal with all the anger. <laughs> you don't you want to deal with the gun control weirdos, Joe? No. Via Twitter, you don't no. want to engage them. No. But anyway, there was like a clear, uh, common foul, quote unquote, of Jay Crowder uh, against uh, one of the Bullets. Going again, going to the basket. Just a good foul. It wasn't even a playoff foul because it wasn't physical. And Greg Anthony was all about calling for the immediate flagrant because he touched his head, <laughs> like he t- a wisp of hair touched Jay Crowder in some capacity. And Greg Anthony wasn't standing for it, so he got eight minutes of Greg Anthony being petulant and upset, and the game flow was just murdered. And that that hurts viewership and it hurts the game. That's a hot take. <laughs> Boom, as they say. Take that. Take that, Greg Anthony. No, I I'll thought, take him to the cup right now, Joe. No, I mean, I mean, listen, the end of that game last night, hell of an ending. Great game. You actually watched some NBA? What, I did. What? Of course. What? I, it's May. It's May 2nd. Last night was May 2nd. You know the rules. What? I start watching the NBA when the calendar hits May. I've told, yeah. I've told you guys this. I've told you over and over. This is my time to shine. You have. If I'm going to commit two months to the NBA, I'm committing the the best two months. And just the yeah, and the TNT. NHL. TNT is just unrelenting. Actually, Joe, that's a good point. I went, I was flipping back and forth between the NBA and NHL last night, and I learned what icing was. I'm trying to learn for the the listeners and yes. the readers. So yes, uh, and you were watching Blues Predators. Yeah, Blues Preds How, and uh, Rangers uh, uh, Sens. All right. Blue, that, people say Sens. Yes. Uh, Blues Predators. I don't know if you saw. I mean, Chippy got real chippy. Uh, Loved and, it. Start, watched yes. it until midway, midway through or the majority of the second period. Then I had to turn turn in, Joe. It gets, I'm older. It gets late quick. I fell asleep during the third. Um, it looks like Nashville won 2-1. Uh Really nice and chippy. I was I was enjoying that. The Predators are fast. 
uh, the Blues just have to slow them down, and they took some dumb penalties, and uh, it cost them in the end. But well, yeah. of any sport, of any sport, like we were just criticizing all the sports for getting so lame and not having personalities. Hockey is the only one that is subsisting in that manner, and it's fun to watch. Uh, yeah, but we don't know the characters as well as we should, and that's true, a, and that's a problem. And we don't we don't have that. We, we we don't have that outlet to find, to hear about the characters in 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 NHL. Uh, people aren't pushing the characters. And Another question for you, based on watching the Rangers, who I think are probably the coolest uniforms in the NHL. Who's got the best uniform in all sports right now, Joe? I'm putting you on the spot. Um, God, I think we've actually talked about this before. Have we? Yeah, I believe we have. I. Best uniform. Are you sure it was me or maybe it was one of your other internet floozies? Uh, God, you already have this picked out, but I'm going to say best uniform. Oh, man. I've got kind of like a three-way going on, a three-way tie, I mean. You know? Like, all I right. think... Uh, I, listen, this- I, all right, here's what I'm going to say. I'm hmm. an old school guy. I think I've said this before, but I, I still like... A Chicago Blackhawks jersey. I don't know mm-hmm. what it is. I the red with the chief. Mm-hmm. And I'm pro Blackhawk chief on a jersey. Uh, it's not racist. Um, <laughs> it's it's not. You don't hear them boycotting the Blackhawks jersey. Never comes up. So what's yours? Go ahead. Um, I'm torn. I I love the just the plain Celtics jersey. Just it just looks so cool. You could go home or away with that. Uh, you gotta you gotta talk about the Detroit Tigers, right, Joe? I mean, that's in your backyard. Right, so the common the common thing we're t- we're hearing here is that the classics still yeah. hold. They still hold the weight. They really do. And then you know it's, you can easily throw the Raiders in there, whether you like them or not. Great brand. Yeah, that that's iconic. Uh, I it is weird to think that they're going to be the Las Vegas Raiders and that jersey and because uh, Vegas is so interchangeable, it just changes all the time. And yeah, I, they better listen. If they go touching the jersey, there's gonna I think they're gonna have issues. Well, and you can't really celebrate properly the Marshawn Lynch acquisition, the native son who came home because now he didn't come home. Uh, and he's well. How many seasons does he have left? One? Two. He's going to play two. Will they be in Las mm-hmm. Vegas in for the second year? <laughs> That's a good question. I don't think they will. I think they're going to wait. They're going to play it out. They're going to play to probably the same filled stadium that they have in the last couple right. of years. And then right. all of a sudden they're going to leave. And that new stadium right, will be Joe. built. We right. got to move on. We got Kyle Petty coming in hot. All right, he's coming it's in. Time. All right. Kyle, how are you? Good, man. How's it going? I'm awesome. Good morning, sir. Uh, we're stoked to talk to you. We're, we're stoked to talk about the uh, the charity ride across America. Um, we know you've been doing this for a little while, right? 23 years. 23 years we've been doing the same thing, man. <laughs> <laughs> Was last year the best year ever? Last year is always the best year ever. Uh, that's the way it works. Uh, whatever you did last year was great. Uh, and you just try to top it every year. So this year we're going a little bit different route. And hopefully this year will be the best year ever. 
I was telling Joe, I've, I spoke to you a year ago, Kyle, we had a great conversation, um, about the ride. And uh, I told Joe, like, you've got this horde of bikers and people. It's like a, a NASCAR grouping of locusts that just descend on all these small towns all the way across the country. Right. That's basically what we do. Um, yeah. And in, in a nutshell, we go, it's my father and Donnie Allison and Harry Gant, um, uh, David Reagan's going with us this year, Herschel uh, McGriff, uh, who ran the first, the very first stock car race that they ran at Darlington, South Carolina in 1950. He's in his late 80s. He's going with us this year. He's a Hall of Fame nominee. And uh, Herschel Walker, George Rogers, uh, Rick Allen from NBC Sports. Uh, so we've got a, a big group of people. Probably got about, uh, this is about our largest group, to be honest with you. We've got about 120, 25 bikes this year. So it constitutes about 200, 250 people uh, will be coming across this year. So this will this would classify as a horde of bikers. Yes, <laughs> uh, Kyle, <laughs> how do you pick the route? You know what? That's good. That's a good question. And originally, it was incredibly simple uh, because we the first few years, man, we just we'd pick a city and know we were coming back to North Carolina, and that was the end of it. And, we always ended up here in Charlotte or in, in Greensboro somewhere around in North Carolina. But uh, in recent years, we've gone so many different ways uh, that we, we tend to repeat ourselves. So we're always looking for new ways. And uh, our group, we've been riding in uh, basically mid-America and the, in the South uh, for the last probably five or six years. Everybody wanted to go to, to uh, the Pacific Northwest. Uh, and we had left Portland probably 10 or 12 years ago. So we decided we'd go back to Portland. Uh, we talked to the people at Harley uh, and decided we'd go back to their museum. And everybody's excited about going to the Harley Museum because a lot of our riders have never been to, to Milwaukee and seen seen the, the archives and seen all that. So uh, we picked uh, Portland as our starting point and uh, randomly, really, just somewhere in the Pacific Northwest and picked Milwaukee as our end and then just connected the dots in between. Wow. So I think we t talked about uh, the gas situation last time. Like, how does everybody stay gassed up and ready to roll? You know what? It's like a pit stop. It is that that part is like a NASCAR pit stop. We have a crew uh, of about six six people that go ahead uh, when, when go ahead of us. Probably they probably leave ten minutes, fifteen minutes ahead of us uh, from the main pack, and they go on to the next fuel stop. When we pull into the fuel stop. Uh, they have all the pumps open. Uh, there's somebody standing at each pump. Uh, you pull up, take your gas cap off. They fill your bike up and you go over and park in the corner of the parking lot. We can pull. we fueled last year. Uh, I'm telling you, uh, our, our fastest one, we fueled almost 95 bikes in 18 minutes. Uh, so that was, we were going for the record last year one, one time. So it takes about 20, 25 minutes to, to fuel this many bikes. And then, uh, we spend about another 30 minutes just standing around talking and walking and been about an hour off the bike and then we jump back on and go to the next fuel stop or, or to our lunch stop wherever we're headed i have a question about the people on the ride are they invited guests or how did they end up on the ride with you guys well here's how it goes there's about i think there's only about seven or eight of us that are left uh that have gone all 23 years um so obviously these people are going to come back come heck or high water that's the way it is there's probably another 30 25 or 30 that have gone somewhere between 15 and 20 years. Uh, and then there's people that will go a couple of years and then lay off a couple of years and come back. And if you've been on it before, 
um, we kind of we try to get you back on it. But we're constantly looking for new riders. This year we've got 26 new riders. Uh, and basically, uh, we just put it up on the website, calpettycharityride.com. Uh, put it up on the website when we're getting ready to start taking applications, and it's first come, first serve. Uh, we can't go many over uh, 110, 120 bikes uh, because it's a seven, eight day event uh, where we have to do we have to do breakfast, lunch, and dinner. We have to do fuel stops for everyone, and we have to get hotel rooms so everyone can spend the night. and And we have to find hotels and places that can that we can book 220 to 250 rooms. So. Uh, if we get many over that, it, it becomes a little bit more hazardous on the on the road to, to to corral that many bikes, and it becomes a logistical nightmare to feed that many people and to house that many people for seven days. So uh, it's just a first-come, first-served basis, and uh, some people, we've, we had two or three people this year that we wait-listed, uh, and a couple of people dropped off, and they're on, and they're excited to go. Uh, another question in the, in, with the ride, how, where does the charity, uh, the money come in that there's money being raised at each stop? Is that how it works? It works multiple ways. Uh, at the stops, we do a thing called, uh, small change, big impact. And, and what we ask is that if, if we stop at a loves travel center and we're hanging out in the parking lot and you come over to get Richard Petty's autograph or a Herschel Walker's autograph or talk to him or get a picture or whatever, uh, and you just bought a Coca-Cola and you got 15 cents in your pockets, just in a dime and a nickel, just drop it in our bucket. Uh, and, and, you know, at the end of the day, that adds up to a lot of money by the time you come across country for seven days. I think we raised $35,000 last year just in small change like that. So uh, that's one of the ways. Each rider, uh, there's a rider fee uh, of $8,500, and that pays for fuel, um, for uh, fuel, hotels, food, Every and transportation of your bike uh, out and back uh, to get where your bike needs to be. So we pay for all that. Uh, and then about out of that $8,500, about two-thirds of that money, uh, half to two-thirds of that money go to the charity, straight to the charity. We have sponsors like Coca-Cola. We have sponsors like Mannheim Auto Auction uh, and Cox Communication, those people. Uh, and they pay a fee to be a sponsor, obviously. And, uh, you know, we've been, we've been very, very blessed. I think out of if you look at our charity rating and some of that stuff, I think we give 70, 75 cent of every dollar goes to, to the charity. So it's, it's the ride has become secondary in the end. It's all about raising money to send kids to camp. Paul, let me get one more question in. Get in there. Come Kyle, on. Kyle, the, the camp itself, is this a year round thing or is there a specific week that the kids come for the camp? No, it's a year round thing. Uh, we built a camp in North Carolina. It's called Victory Junction. Uh, it's part of Paul Newman's uh, original camps, the Hole in the Wall Gang Group of Camps, which is now rebranded as Serious Fun Camp. Uh, there's seven or eight of them in the United States. We had a region. Uh, we had North Carolina, South Carolina, Southern Virginia, and East Tennessee. Uh, but because of NASCAR and Tony Stewart and Jeff Gordon and Jimmy Johnson and Dale Jr. and Michael Walter and guys like that who helped build the camp and donated the camp, it became a little bit more of a national camp. We've seen kids from all 50 states and from, I think, five or six foreign countries have come to camp, totally free of charge. Uh, camp cost uh, to bring kids to camp, to pay for their medicine, to look after them, uh, it cost us about $5.5 million a year to run camp, to send kids to camp. We've seen about 26, 27,000 kids in the 13, 14 years we've been open. Um, so that, that's, that's the way 
the, the majority of the money is raised. That's where the money goes to. Uh, and it's just been, it, it's been special to watch so many people come out and, and help along the way. Hal, at any given pit stop along the ride, how long is the line for the woman's restroom? <laughs> we know every Port of John company between here and Portland, between here and San Diego, between here and Texas. I'm telling you, man, it, it is funny because that is a major issue for us. When you, after you've been on the bike for uh, two hours, two and a half hours, the first place you go after you get fuel is to the restroom. So we make sure that where we stop, Got plenty of Port of Johns, and the women have plenty of places to go. See, Joe, there's no bitching. The women can't complain for right. once. Right. Uh, yes, it's a guy. It's mostly a guys guys event, right? You know what? That is that's funny, uh, and that is that's a good, excellent observation. If this was the first five or six years, yes, it was. For about the first six, seven years, five, six, seven years. It was nobody but guys went. Nobody but guys. Uh, and then a couple of guys uh, brought their wives. And then a couple of guys started bringing their daughters uh, or their son. Their daughter would ride with them on the back one year. Their son would ride the next. And it has been truly amazing uh, that, that in that period of time, uh, we've got two or three gentlemen who brought their sons, and now their sons ride their bikes and bring their wives with them. Uh, because we've been doing this 23 years. We've been doing it a long time. These kids have grown up. But... Uh, I bet probably a third of the people uh, on the bikes are, are women. We've probably got about 25 women that ride their own bikes uh, that, that ride. So uh, it is diversified a little bit. It's become more, instead of a guy thing, it's become more of a family thing, to be honest with you. Nice. Well, speaking of, speaking of families and fathers and sons, your dad, uh, Richard Petty, he will be on the ride as well. He's going to be 80 years old, Kyle. What are you going to get him for a gift? The big 8-0. <laughs> you know what my gift to him was i'll just leave him alone on his birthday how about that that's, that's how you can give a guy like that i mean when you get a guy who's done as much as he's done who's been as many places and, and has seen as many things and has as much as he has it's like hey the best thing you can give him is peace and quiet so maybe that's what i'll give him this year. But yeah it's, it's hard to believe uh I, I laugh about it all the time he is um he was born in 1937 uh, started going to the racetracks in, in 48, 49, uh, and still, last weekend at Richmond, he's standing on top of a truck watching a race, and that's what he does. Uh, he just loves to go to the racetrack and, and loves to be around race cars and racing people, uh, and that's where he gets his joy. So that, that's his birthday present is, is getting to go there, but I cannot believe he still rides a motorcycle with us. Does he try to race anybody on his motorcycle? No, you know what? He is... You you have to hurry him up sometimes because he's just enjoying the scenery. I mean, I can't tell you how many times that we've been across and I'll be looking for him and can't find him. And I'll, I'll just pull over on the side of the road and here he'll come. And I'll say, where you been? And he's like, man, did you see that mountain back there? I just stopped and took a picture and just looked at it for a minute because I've never been through this part of the country before. It's funny. As much as we traveled uh, and as much as we went to different racetracks all over the country, uh, we never saw the country. We just went to racetracks, uh, and that's all you saw. And then you would you'd drive home in the middle of the night when it was dark, so you didn't see anything. So I, I think for the last two years, especially for him, he's just enjoyed uh, just seeing parts of the country he's never been to before. Kyle, what part of the country would we be shocked to know is a big racing area of the country that maybe maybe needs a dirt track or maybe needs some sort of racing? 
You know what? Um, I, I know this sounds strange, but Wyoming has, 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 is one of those states that just has blown me away every time we come through Wyoming. Uh, Wyoming and Utah, those two states are two states that are, you know, the, the, the major areas and the areas that we see Cheyenne and you see Jackson Hole and you see a large population, uh, you know, that, it, that's a little bit different. But you get out away from that to a town of 25 people or a town of 40 people, uh, and they're huge race fans, man. They're huge race fans. They come to Vegas. They go to, to, to Sonoma. Um, and it, it amazes me because I, I still – you know, I grew up in the southeast, and that's where the sport became popular, and that's where the sport has grown, and uh, we're still its, its foundation is. So I don't think about people in, in Cody, Wyoming, knowing much about stock car racing. I, I forget sometimes they've got satellite dishes and can watch it on TV, I guess. But uh, it's just not something that you would think of would be, be a topic of conversation on a Monday morning at the coffee uh, uh, or at the water cooler at the coffee pot, but it is. And, and I think those two states amaze me the most. Kyle, I'm going to kind of put you on the spot here. I told Joe going into this interview that you have the best old school stories about old school NASCAR ever. And um, I want to know, what's the best old school NASCAR story that you've never told anybody that you can tell us right now? <laughs> I don't know. It's funny you say that because I, I got to tell you, last night uh, I was with Larry McReynolds and with Robin yeah. Pemberton and with Michael Waltrip, and we were, were editing the Charlotte Motor Speedway. This is the 25th anniversary of the very first night race and the very first all-star race uh, that they ran there. And uh, if, if you go back to that race, Dale Earnhardt, I was running second, and Dale spun on the last lap in three and four, and Davey and I crashed coming across the start-finish line. So it was a pretty spectacular race. And uh, Robin sat there, and I sat there, and, and Larry sat there, and we told stories about how much each one of us was cheating uh, just to get to that point. And, and it's like, you're cheating thinking you're cheating the other guy, but he's cheating better than you are, and you're getting outrun, and it makes you mad 25 years later that you're still getting outcheated. Um, that's, that's the way it was. So, I mean, I, I don't have many good stories like that that, that, I, I, that I would be willing to divulge as of yet. I'm more like Mark Twain. I'm going to write my autobiography, but you can't publish it for 100 years to protect the innocent <laughs> yes. uh, and to protect the generations of the innocent. That's genius. Yeah, it's got to be 100 years after you're gone, right? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And if anybody cares, you can publish it. If they don't, don't worry about it. <laughs> <laughs> one of the stories I love from last time, Kyle, was your first race when you were 18. And I think it was one of the Allisons. He came over. He was smoking a cigarette. He said, "Man, if you're going to run with us, you got to run a hell of a lot better than that." Yeah, you're going to have to get tougher. Those guys were. Listen, when I started, I was 18. Those guys were already in their early 40s. I run that race, and, and I was spent, man. I mean, I was wiped out. And it was Talladega, easiest race in the world to run. All you got to do is sit in there and turn the steering wheel. Not a big deal. And um, man, I was spent. And they come by. It was Pearson. David Pearson came by with a cigarette in his hand and, and a beer, and he said, listen, son, he said, if you're going to run with us, you're going to have to get a lot tougher. And I thought, these freaking 45-year-old men are tough <laughs> as hell. I'm telling you, man, tough as hell. I don't want to go up against none of these guys. But it, it, it's funny. It's like, you know, I, I had played football, basketball, baseball and, and, and high school, and I was only six or seven months removed from high school. I thought I was in shape. I just wasn't in racing shape, and that between my ears, I wasn't tough enough to run with those guys. So it was grown man strength. Yeah, it was. <laughs> it was man strength. I was. I was still a boy. It was man strength. I thought I was a man until I 
until I race with those guys. And they're smoking well, and they're smoking and drinking after races. I, I don't know who that surprises. I mean, I don't know why. You yeah, know. well, no, I mean, <laughs> no, yeah, exactly. They're, yeah, and and then the eighteen-year-old is just getting beat up. You yeah. you, you need to start it's, smoking remember, and it's drinking. Seventy-nine, man. It's a, it's a, it's it's nineteen seventy-nine. Yeah, it's true. a different time in the world. This is before political correctness. Yes, okay? yes, you can, you yes. Can still, you, you can still do and say the things you wanted to do and say, and not worry that you were going to offend somebody. That's what Paul well, and I it, have been saying. We we're yeah. ready for a NASCAR driver to smoke and drink after a race. Yeah, <laughs> listen. There's nothing wrong with a guy lighting up a Winston and, and popping the top on a PVR as soon as things over with. Because it's over yes. with, man. Preach. You got a week to get it out Preach. of the system. Yes. Preach, Kyle. No, we were at the track. We were at Bristol uh, a couple weeks ago, and Joe and I, you know how it is on pit road and in any at any track, not just Bristol. And Joe and I looked at each other, and one of us said, "Man, there is no room for pussies at the track. Every guy is tough, and even the ladies, Kyle, could beat you in an arm wrestling contest. What is that? Is it just because you're surrounded by metal and and concrete all the time? What is that toughness? You know, I." I, I I don't know where it comes from. I, I'm, I'm telling you, you know, you, you, Danica or Jimmy Johnson and those guys, they work out, they do all their stuff. Now, you know, I, it's funny to me because you see, we couldn't, and I, I will say this, if you go back to Pearson, you go back to my dad and you go back to those guys, they couldn't work out because they had to work on the race car. There weren't enough people working on race cars to get them to the racetrack. So the driver's, physically worked on their cars and did their stuff. So they, you know, not about me, man. I got to get this car fast. I'll, I'll gut it out in here. But these guys, these, these drivers today have done a phenomenal job. And you know, with, with everything that's happened with Earnhardt, with the, with the concussions and all that stuff, you've got to be strong. You've got to, you've got to do everything you can to, to avoid injury. You know, I compare race car drivers to, you go back and look at NFL players from the sixties and seventies, and they wouldn't even get looked at today um, right. as, as far as their strength and their, their speed or anything. that They wouldn't even get looked at to be, to be drafted or be on anybody's roster because the, the sport has changed so much. And that's kind of the way uh, the race car driver that we know today has changed from the old guys. That's a really good point. And, Kyle, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put you on the spot again. This is a question I was pondering as I was driving earlier this week. When uh, and obviously last week when Junior announced his pending retirement, if you take away the name Dale Earnhardt Jr. and you look at just on-track performance results, is he a Hall of Fame driver? Yes, yes, and here's why. Okay, if I'm just going to look at performance, and this is this is this is Kyle getting on his soapbox. Okay, is the Hall of Fame um, has has is about you, you, we we think we think and let me let me I think or, or most people think the Hall of Fame is about numbers uh, and it is about numbers but it's also about what you do for the sport and what you mean to the sport and I guess my point is from from Dale Jr. he's won two Xfinity championships he's won a couple of Daytona 500 he's won 26 28 races whatever he's won he's won some big races um, he's been competitive and he's done good. And even if his name was Joe Smith, uh, what he did last year uh, by stepping up and saying, look, I'm injured and I, I've got an issue and I've got, I've got a brain injury and I've got to get this thing fixed and I'm not going to drive a race car. Uh, opened the door 
for the next generation of drivers, the, the Kyle Larsons, the, the Chase Elliotts, the guys like that, to say the same thing. Before that, nobody got out of a car. Holy crap, man. My dad drove with a broke neck. Uh, I drove with cracked vertebrae and cracked ribs. Everybody. You won't find a driver that drove through the, through the mid-90s that didn't drive at some time with a broken bone or a dislocated shoulder or something. Um, because you knew you had to get back in that car and go, because that was your job, man. And if you got out, somebody else was going to get in, and if they did better, you, your butt was going to be fired. It's not that way anymore. But I, I just think as we've gone through it, um, Richard Petty with 200 wins, David Pearson with 100 and some, Kale and Bobby and, and those guys, Daryl with 80 and some, we're going to get down to where there's not any drivers left that have many more than 30 or 40 wins or 20 or 30 wins and 20 or 30 wins eventually is going to get you in the hall of fame. That's how simple it is. Cause they're going to run out of people, um, from the cup series. They're just going to run wow. out of people. And I go back to, it is a NASCAR hall of fame. Dale jr. Won the Xfinity championship two years, two times, uh, that alone, a championship should get you in the hall of fame. Kyle. Wow. Interesting. Yeah. You good. You good, Paul. Man, I'm just wrapping my mind around that, Joe. I know. I know it. And also the fact that we're not going to have an Earnhardt, you know, a, a top-level Earnhardt in racing. You're just going to have Jeffrey, and, and we spoke to him earlier, and he feels the, you know, the pressure of and the responsibility of that. Yeah, but you know what? I, I don't look at that as a big deal, and, and I'm sorry. And this is, this is another Kyle Petty thing. It's, it is... You know, I go back to, I go back to, let's go back to the 50s and when the sport, the, the first decade of the sport, and you had Lee Petty and Buck Baker and Bonnie and Tim Flock and Joe Weatherly and guys like that. They were the superstars of the sport. Uh, Fireball Roberts, uh, those guys, Junior Johnson, they were the superstars of the sport. Between the late 60s, or excuse me, the late 50s and the mid 60s, all those guys disappeared. They weren't in the sport anymore. Uh, either through death or retirement, whatever, they weren't in the sport. And and talking to my dad, fans at that time said, oh, my God, where's this sport going, man? Where all of our superstars, all the guys that we pulled for are gone. Well, if you go from the late 50s to, to 63 or 64, Pearson came along, my dad came along, Bobby and Donnie came along, Buddy Baker came along, Kelly Yarbrough came along, all those guys. And if we look back, the 60s and 70s those were the guys man those were the names so kyle do you think and then do you think right now we're at a reset we are at a reset because all of those guys that i just mentioned retired between 1988 and 1992 Uh, and and the fans then said oh my god we we don't have a richard petty and a david pearson no but we had a dale earnhardt senior and we had a rusty wallace and we had a mark martin and we had a terry labani and then we get a jeff gordon then we get a jimmy johnson and we're just in that cycle where junior and Jeff and Tony and Carl stepped away. Jimmy Johnson's 41 years old. These guys are retiring in their, in their early to mid-40s now. So over the next three or four years, we're going to see three or four more go. But who's behind them? Chase Elliott, um, Ryan Blaney, Daniel Suarez, Eric Jones, Kyle Larson. Joey Logano is 26 years old and has contended for the championship the last three years in a row and, and has won races and is winning races. And he is he's the guy that's poised to take over that. And and, you know, there was a petty in this sport from the very first race uh, until basically I quit driving 
uh, in 2008, and then there was no more Petties. Right. And there's been an Earnhardt here since the early to mid-'70s, and now there'll be no more Earnhardts. But you know what? There's going to be an Elliott, and there's going to be a Suarez, and there's going to be an Eric Jones, and there's going to be guys like that. And we may see the beginning of another another generation or two uh, of those names that come into the sport. Kyle, we could talk all day. We know you're a busy guy. Uh, Paul, any final comments? I got, I got one. Go ahead. One one final question for you, Kyle, if you got a second. Um, yeah. I, I got to get your insight on Penske and how Logano and Kazowski, and even over the IndyCar series, why is Penske kicking so much ass lately? You know, I think, and, and it's—I don't look at it as lately. I look at it over the last two or three years. Really, they have been the Ford and the car. Uh, the only guy that's really challenged them for speed a lot of times has been Kevin Harvick in that Stuart Haas car. And, and I think Kevin and those guys, when they hit their stride here mid-year, their Fords are going to be strong too. Um, but I—I I, I don't know. I, I think you know that when they moved all of their stuff in-house together. When they brought their IndyCar team to Charlotte uh, and their and their Cup team to Charlotte, or the Cup team was already here, and they and, and Roger put everything together, uh, it seemed to help the Cup side a little bit more uh, and brought it up to a different level. Um, and I think being in one place has, has helped Roger consolidate his racing interest. But I'm telling you, Roger Penske with with Joey Logano and with with Brad Keselowski have two of two of the best drivers. On the circuit, we can go to to, to to Hendrick right now, and he's got Jimmy Johnson and Chase Elliott and Dale Earnhardt and and uh, Casey Kane, and I'll give you that he's got the best driver in Jimmy Johnson and an up and comer in Chase, but those other two aren't aren't what what Brad and, and Joey are. Even if we go to Gibbs, uh, Denny, he kind of comes and goes. You never know what he's going to do. I think. Matt's at the end of his career, but Matt's probably one of the greatest drivers that ever set in a car as far as I'm concerned. Kyle, we know what Kyle can do, and, and Daniel's coming up. So, I mean, he's got a strong lineup against everybody else, and by having two strong cars and not having any weak cars in the program that drag the other two teams down, I think it makes them stronger. Wow, great, great insight. Yep, it's uh... – Kyle, like I said, we could talk all day, and Paul and I enjoy the hell out of this, and uh, we wish you luck on the charity ride. I know we're going to be following along and uh, see what you guys get up, get into out there in the middle of nowhere. All right, man. I appreciate you guys. Thanks for having me, man. All right. Thanks a lot, Thanks, Kyle. Kyle. That's, Thank you, guys. That's Kyle Petty, legendary driver, broadcaster, storyteller, and has one hell of a charity, Paul. Man, where do you even go with that? I mean, to, in summary, I mean, look how look how much ground we covered there. No matter how we shifted gears, Kyle was ready to go with a thoughtful answer. Almost. And I told you, yeah, go ahead. These great these great old school stories. <laughs> I love what he said about you know waiting a hundred years <laughs> after he's dead and and publishing the book. Uh, almost thirty minutes, no break. No TV breaks, no commercial breaks, no media breaks. Kyle Petty just keeps going. And uh, old schooler, great to hear from the old schoolers. We love it every time we hear from them. I like how he says his dad was at the track last week, standing on top of a truck watching the race. It takes me back. You know, you're, it takes you back to a different time in the sport where these guys just wanted to go to the track, Paul. 
Yeah, that's that's what they are. The, again, like we were talking about branding and endorsements and social media, it's not, you know, in this area, there's more more of that, obviously. But back then, guys were there because they loved being there. Uh, another question I have is Richard Petty, I should ask this, when he's riding down the road, does he wear the cowboy hat? <laughs> that is a good question. I almost feel like or, I need a I need a follow up on this because I don't know when the last time I ever saw Richard without the hat. Tweet at Kyle later and ask that because I will. I'd love to know. I will. How the does only he, thing does he wear the it, helmet? Well, the only thing I can think is that he has a helmet in the shape of a cowboy hat. <laughs> oh, oh my God! <laughs> now that would go viral, right? Oh, absolutely! Viral madness. How could it not? Exactly. Uh, any final thoughts before we wrap this up? This was uh, this was actually probably the longest interview we've done so far, and I think he would have just kept going. Oh, he would have. Last time when Kyle and I spoke prior to this event last year, we talked for over an hour and a half, and it felt like it was twelve minutes or you ten talked minutes. For an hour and a half. Yeah, you didn't. Yeah, at we some did. Point, you I didn't mean, feel like letting Kyle get a break. <laughs> no, I was like, keep talking, Kyle. Oh my this God. is gold. This this content is gold. Wow. No, and that's the cool thing about about KP is that he loves the sport. You can tell by the way he talks about it and the thoughtfulness of his answers. And if you've got legit questions, which I feel like we do from time to time, he's gonna he's gonna dump out all that knowledge. I, I really liked what he said about how there was a petty in the sport from the beginning of NASCAR until. 2008 and now you're going through that transition with Earnhardt. I mean, it's like dynasties in sports. I I agree with that in the fact that the sport was always healthy. It was always rising, right? And yeah. I agree that the stars come and go, but I don't know if the sport is rising. And I I feel like I feel like when those other generations when they left, uh I felt like the sport was still rising in the the stands were being filled up and people were uh, still going to the track. I just feel like we're in a different era with this sport where people, they're not going to the track. They're not taking their families camping. They're not taking their families for a week at the racetrack and they they'll sit at home and maybe watch the race or they won't even ra- watch the race at all. And right. I, and I, and I, and, and maybe this is a conversation for another day with Kyle Petty but it feels like it's just a different time and people aren't going to they're not going to say let's put the camper in the middle of the infield at Talladega and let the kids walk around barefoot i just don't get that no, feeling I, I think you're nailing it and and that's what as we as we've experienced makes the sport so much fun is the overall experience aspect of it i almost slacked you an article i read last night about the the attendance recap numbers from richmond and it's you know they sold that venue out i think it's like 90,000 at least at least 80 they sold it out for like 25 years in a row and then the attendance figures came in it was like half yeah, and they're talking about ways if they move it to a night race, if more people will come, if you know. So well, they they just right. Paul, they just moved it from a night race. It was a night race, yeah. and right. during the broadcast, uh, you have Waltrip saying how it's great to race during the day because the heat was changing the tires, it was changing the track, right. and then in the other on the other hand, if you move it from the night. It's so damn hot. I mean, yes, it was one of those weekends where it's just unbelievably hot. 
and it shouldn't yeah. be for April uh, or May or whatever, whatever the hell the day was. Um, but anyway, <laughs> whatever it is. Anyway, you you have this case where they 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 moved it to try to. I, I assume to get more people for on a Sunday. I don't know. I, I don't get it. Um, but I think they're just throwing so many darts against the wall. They don't know what to do. Um, right. But listen, I'm not going to argue with Kyle Petty on, on the generational thing. I agree that the drivers are going to come and go. I just don't think that we're going to get the characters that we got um, in the past. And, and we've talked about it. The brands have they have put the restraints on these guys to the point to where they're not able to have char- they're not, they're not able to have characteristics. Uh, they're robots, and you know we fall into it because we work with the brands, we work with the athletes, and then we want them to be like, hey, or we want them to give us a, a quote, but they want to get paid, and it's a it's yeah. a huge issue. Um, maybe we get like a wild card. Is there one driver that we're just gonna let use f bombs and smoke after races? You know, <laughs> right. are we gonna are we gonna let one guy be the wild card and uh, that be the one guy that's allowed to smoke? Uh, so it, it, it's a huge issue, but uh, that's that's a conversation. Maybe we'll get Kyle back on the phone and talk for like an hour on that right there. Let's just let's just be it. honest. Let's be honest about well, it. A no frills podcast, Joe. Because listen, Kyle Petty works for NBC. NBC has the Brickyard 400, and for all intents purposes, the Brickyard 400 is dead. It's dead. Yeah. It's beyond yeah. dead. It should have been canceled uh, three, four years ago, and we're it's in July, and nobody in their right mind wants to be at, at the Brickyard in July. When it's 200 degrees in the stands, and you, you and you can only see one stretch of the of the race, so right, right. So we you know we've talked about we've hammered this home, and uh, I, maybe Kyle Petty is the guy to be honest about all this. Oh, he's the guy. He doesn't care. So, but either way, great another great interview, Joe. Yeah, good charity by the way. You know these these kids, they're it's yeah they they're going through so much bullshit it's good to see that uh and Kyle's been at it for so long i've i've heard this uh, i've heard about this cherry before but it was good to hear him talk about it so yep um anyway paul uh we'll get this podcast out has an intro i hope everybody's happy you get a little nascar old school nascar and honesty that's the key so, uh, not the, not the, not the branded stuff. This is the honest interview. So, all right, Paul. That's the headline. It is. That's the headline. It is. Not, this isn't a branded interview. This isn't a NASCAR branded interview. This it's is Kyle. The, it's called the headline. The headline is the honest interview, colon, Kyle Petty goes deep. Is that right? Or Kyle Petty goes, Kyle Petty goes hard. Goes honest. It goes on the honest podcast. <laughs> Kyle Petty goes on. No brand has <laughs> no brand has infiltrated his brain. <laughs> so that's your headline, Joe. Oh, there it is. All right, I will uh, get this one online. I got things to do. You do too. It's a beautiful sunny day, and uh, that's it for uh, Milk the Clock podcast here on Bus Coverage. <laughs>